Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royful Brown, who is 52.5 degrees north and 1 degree 0.85 west, which puts me back in my hometown of Birmingham. And with me is the grown-up of the duo, Claire Asprey. Claire, where are you today? It will come as a surprise to no one that I am at home in Bedfordshire, 52.16 degrees north and 0.5 degrees west. Map Corner is a podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartophilic. So if Peter's is your projection, you're in the right place. And this month we're talking to Alex, the social media map nerd, about sharing maps online and uh, frankly, his love of map corner podcast too, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And we have a rather stonking audio postcard from our Claire who went to Lille in northern France. Now, don't forget, please review us on Apple Podcasts or on other podcast platforms because it's the best and the easiest way for us to get new, dedicated listeners to the podcast. Now, if you are listening to this podcast, there is, there's about 10 hardy souls. I'll call them our hardy perennials. They're actually watching this on Zoom. And I know the next bit's supposed to be in red, but if I don't say so myself, Claire, I did a stonking job on your audio postcard. For those hardy perennials, it's a video postcard. And if you want to be one of those hardy perennials and get to see the audio postcard in full video format... Uh, which actually is always worth seeing because Royfield does a really good job with them and he keeps promising to put them on YouTube and we haven't quite got around to it. But then if you want to be here next time, join the Facebook group. You'll get an invitation or ask for a link. And if you're not on Facebook, send a message to us on Twitter or whatever and we'll send you a link. We usually record on the first Saturday of each month at 6pm UK time, which is 1pm Eastern and 10am Pacific. And so today we're joined by Alex, the map nerd, who across multiple platforms, including the ones that the kids watch, talks about maps and crazy geography facts. So welcome to Map Corner, Alex. You're in good company. Thank you for having me. Why maps? What got you into it? So it's interesting. So I I actually, I'm a fan of Map Corner and I've listened to a lot of your guests and I think I have a, a bit of a different entrance into this, into the map field. So I have always been obsessed with maps, geography. I studied geography in college, but of course, my parents told me there's nothing you could possibly do with that. What are you going to do with that? And so I, I took a career path that had n- absolutely nothing to do with maps and geography. And I, and I started in entertainment and I, and I worked in television for a very long time. And then I, I, I left and really needed to, took a year off and needed to reassess things. And my wife encouraged me and said, why don't you just get back to something that you actually like, even though your parents told you that would never, you could never do that for a living. And I said, okay, great. I'm going to, I'm going to start talking about maps. And I did that during this sort of year long hiatus, which is now turned into, we're just about a year in 
and it's turned into quite its own beast. It shows you when you really follow your passion, people start to notice. And so now we've got, oh gosh, over 500,000 followers, 100 million views. It's TikTok, it's YouTube, it's Instagram, and have learned quite a lot about how people ingest maps. Goodness, half a million followers on all yeah. your different platforms. Yeah, yeah. Right. And a hundred million <laughs> views though. So I feel like I need to get more. Uh, we need you to consult for us. I don't know if we can afford you, but that's what we need. No, hey, no problem. I, I don't know what you'd like to talk about today, but that is what's so interesting is that we're in a new age of maps uh, mm. and geography, and it's really exciting. It takes a bit to understand what people are intrigued by, what maps work, what don't, and what people want to see. And for some of us who have studied geography and love maps, that might be a little disheartening at first, but it comes with an upside, which is that more people are interested in looking at maps a lot more than before, than when I was studying geography in college. So what does get them really going? This is a constantly evolving process, right? Um, Because these apps uh, and social media, and even I know you guys are on Facebook, even Facebook, everything is evolving very quickly. It moves to the rhythm of the times and the news. And so this is always evolving. But in general, um, there are two things and it seems obvious, right? The, The first that I found is if you've got something that's visually interesting, right? Just very intriguing visually, It really grabs people's attention, grabs eyeballs, and gets people uh, interested. But you don't need to have something that's entirely visually fascinating. If you have something that is uniquely, um, if if the content is uniquely interesting and surprising, people want to be shocked. They want to be surprised. They want to be interested. uh, And they want to learn something new. And if you can teach somebody something very interesting about geography, I think this is probably why we all like maps anyway, and let them feel like they're learning something and say, oh, wow, oh, that's so cool factor, you can get them really interested and involved. Now, (laughs) the downside to that, though, as I've learned and I've seen from now I follow basically every map creator out there possible, is that means that sort of the world of maps and geography are ripe for exploitation. If somebody is just interested in getting eyeballs and getting the wow factor, they're going to be producing and sharing maps that may have misinformation, aren't very true, and are really just there to grab your attention. And so that's the balance you've got to make, but it really does shape how maps are disseminated now to the rest of the world, pretty much. I think one of my favorite kinds of maps is data visualization maps with like wacko data. Like you just think, where have they got this from? I don't know. But some of the stuff is a data set, you know, favorite first names in different states of the US or things like that. And there's other stuff that you just think, I collected that. Where is that publicly available? And you've got some like an gradated map showing you some really in, like fascinating and it catches your eye. But then you're like, well, you stop and think about it. You say, what's the... Who's collecting this? What's the basis for this map? But then yeah, at the you... same time, there's some really great examples where people are sharing that, sharing data sets. There's a lot of kind of open source map stuff where great community there, where they are sharing hints and tips about creating maps. And there's a lot of creativity there. Yeah, no, for sure. Just anything nowadays, you really have to know who you're following and, and what their background is and, and where they got their information. You could make a map about anything, and I could make a map that looks different a hundred different ways, as you've had many guests say on your podcast, uh, on the same exact subject. So it's not necessarily that people are purposefully lying or not telling the truth. It's just that they're using the data based on not necessarily making an interesting point with a map, but really just to get eyeballs, which is different and it makes the map a little bit quirky. But what's interesting is that, like you were talking about in the data visualization space, this is all shaped how um, people see maps right now and what information is on maps. Because a map is only good usually as you could, if you can sell it or, or, or show it to people. Uh, although for 
probably this group and myself, I'd make my own maps and look at them all day. So that's not a problem. But what we're seeing now is that the way that a map looks, the elements that are in a map now are really being shaped by social media and the viewers that are watching them. And it's changing completely. So the infographics, the data visualization that you're talking about, right? For example, so thematic maps, uh, chloropleth maps, they're all over the place. That's all the rage. Everyone wants to see that. It's easy to understand. You can have some fascinating facts. And then versus roadmaps, topographical maps, these things are much less visible now. And people don't really produce them. You have it on your phone and nobody finds it that intriguing in the social media age. And so it's really shaping what kind of maps are produced and what elements we see. Yeah, we've interviewed a number of great map makers and map sharers on the podcast. And Kenfield's definitely the Pluralpleth map man. And people like Simon Kosimak, who shares maps all the time. So do you have any particular favorites out there in the social media space that you, you like to see things from? I do like Ken a lot. There's a lot, and it's really about who you can trust and what you can see. And I think it's not all doom and gloom. I think the amazing thing is with the sort of mass culture general population that's watching social media, people are much, much more familiar with maps, about how to look at them, about the different elements involved. Everyone's got it on their phone. You've got maps everywhere. Nowadays, there's a map connected to Every shop you look up online, there's a map there that shows where it is. It wasn't always like that. When I was studying geography in school, it wasn't like that. And so people have a, a much deeper understanding and familiarity with looking at maps, which I think makes them a lot more prevalent. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal just a couple months ago about how millennials are now back into maps. And it's cool. It's like a sort of a new age. You just have to be able to adapt. Yeah, totally. Tell us how you disseminate, create a map or source a map, and then how you then publicize that on your various different platforms. How does that process work? Yeah. At the beginning, it was fascinating topics that I had always known about, always been fascinated about, and I thought I would like to share with people. Now, there's enough people that are providing me with suggestions to look at check this place out, check this border out, that I'm really pulling from that, that pile um, um, from other people's suggestions, which is absolutely incredible, by the way. That's a power of social media in this community, just like the Map Corner community. When I post a map, it's more often than not, I find somebody who's from there, who's been there. I've actually got a great example of, and I know this is not exactly what you asked, but this is a great example. There's a, I did, are you familiar with Tristan de Cunha? Yeah. And people might want to listen up because it's Mike feature in the quiz. Just saying. Uh, okay. Tristan de Cunha is a fascinating place. And I know you guys are, are mostly from the UK and it is a very isolated island in the middle of the Atlantic. And it, it takes about six days to get to. You can't fly there. You can't take a helicopter. You really got to hitch a ride from South Africa all the way down there, and it takes about six days. Surprisingly and amazingly, there are 200,000 people about that live there. And I have always found this place fascinating. Just scrolling through a Google Maps and looking at it and just saying, what is going on? How do people live there? And so I did a video on it, and I said, this is a really fascinating place. And in, gosh, a day or two, Somebody wrote me and said, I live there. Out of all the people in all the world, there are 200 people that live on this island. And social media connected me to a person who's from there, which is really amazing and fascinating and the beautiful thing and why I love sort of posting these maps. So a roundabout way to answer your question, Royfield, is now I am really engaged with my community of fellow map nerds, and we're coming up together with fascinating and interesting places to put on maps. They provide suggestions. I take a look and I think I need, I usually look for something that either is very popular with a lot of people or is really has some sort of high interest 
value, something that is fascinating, that has a surprising bit of knowledge that probably a lot of people don't know. Um, if it's an outline of a state or a country that people are very familiar with, uh, it's not going to play very well. It's got to be things that people didn't know. The oh, wow piece always has to be in these maps. So this is obviously now your day job, right? You, yeah. you can you have a half a million people following on various platforms and not monetize that somehow. So props to you for that. So, so well done. What you said is so obvious, but it was went over mine and Claire's heads. We thought it'd be really kooky to talk about maps on a podcast. It's That's a fundamental mistake that we made. But I followed a few people on YouTube who are kind of travelers. Can't call them explorers. Is that going to be the next avenue for you? Because if you got somebody from Tristan de Kuna messaging you, you're going to have the tourist board next from Myanmar emailing you saying, ah, do you want to do a little thing on some interesting facts in Myanmar? Here's a plane ticket. So is that the next kind of business route for you? It's fortuitous that you say that. Yes, that as that that is starting to occur for sure. And it's exciting, to be honest with you. And actually, when I talk to some of these tourist boards, associations, places that reach out and say, come do, do something on us, they're it's interesting. They're very used to inviting travel writers, Instagram influencers out to their hotels and countries and places and taking beautiful pictures of them sitting by the beach with Katya. I'm sure we've all seen them on social media. It's it That's really what these places, even they want to promote, are very used to. Very pretty polished pictures that get posted. Look where I'm at. I'm in this beautiful hotel. And they usually have a drink with them. And in my conversations, I've been having to educate and train some of these people and say, look, I'm not going to take a picture of myself in sunglasses at the pool. That's not what my audience is interested in. And I think you can get a lot more people interested if you actually discuss the geography of the place, what's really interesting about it, pull out some maps. Because honestly, people want to learn online. And I've found this every time I do a new video or put out a new map, people want to learn. They want to know something interesting. They don't, it, not everyone wants to just watch somebody dancing or fall over or some meme-like thing. They feel good when they can watch social media and they can learn something. You just have to be able to provide it to them. And so I'm having to convince a lot of these tourism boards that it may not be fancy photos of sunsets and they have to be okay with that. Now, I've gotten some pushback, which is to say they may not want to show the interesting border dispute that's going on nearby, right? These aren't necessarily the most flattering things. They're not necessarily bad. They're facts. They're geographical facts. But they really just, it's about convincing people that there's a whole nother audience out there, probably an audience that is more likely to visit your country that is interested in learning these very interesting map geographical things than the audience who's picking up those photos of the hotels, they are probably not going to go visit. They're just going to look at the photos. I was wondering because I did actually make the effort to watch quite a lot of the TikTok videos, which is usually my daughter's domain, I'll have to be honest. Yes. Uh, but, but what really strikes me is how nothing's over more than, I don't know, about a minute and a half, two minutes tops. And it's easier to do something long than it is to do something short, isn't it? So how can how do you condense the information you want to transfer, the educational points you want to make, but within an incredibly tight timeline? It's the hardest thing. It's so hard. Claire, you're exactly right. I write, I pick a topic, find the topic, usually like we're talking about source within the community, say, okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. Um, I do loads of research, probably more than I should. Um, oh, my, my wife tells, tells me that I'm looking at way too many maps. I just need to make the video ready, but it's fine. I enjoy that. And I, I write a story. I guess it's a script 
But the truth is, it's not really written like you say this now. It's more of I'm writing a story about a place um, and I fill a page or multiple pages for too long. Um, but I try to get everything in there that I think is interesting and that it's worthwhile to know about a place or a map. And then I have that page or two pages and I spend a good amount of time just cutting out sentences, just really picking through, okay, this bit is neat, but it's not necessary. Okay, cut that. Okay, this bit, now this bit, yes, I really liked it, but okay, I'm going to cut that. Or maybe I like this, I like this piece, but I don't, it's too long to live on its own. Maybe I can just add it as an aside to another sentence or something. And so I literally go through that for a long period of time, taking little by little, cutting, cutting until I get really just a two to three minute segment. And to be honest with you, if your daughter's watching TikTok, she'll probably tell you TikToks are usually shorter than a minute. So the fact that mine are two to three minutes is quite long. You know what we should do? Because uh, listen, I'm not only listening to you, but I'm writing notes, sir. Writing notes. <laughs> All right. You've inspired me to turn Matt Corner into a multi-platform conglomerate and you whatever. You can do it. You, we will do it. But I like that. I like the we like there. I like the we. But I tell you what we also need to do right now. We need to actually go on to uh, Claire is most fascinating audio postcard, which for the good people who are watching this on Zoom is a video postcard. Hi, this is Claire and here's my audio postcard from Lille in France. We went to Lille because it was the easiest place to get to in France, just an hour and a half from Eurostar from London St Pancras. I didn't really have any preconceptions about the place, but I was impressed. The older parts of the city were a mix of flamboyant French-looking buildings and areas with the feel of the low countries and old Flemish merchants, which reflect the fact that Lyon is almost at the border with Belgium. Following this deindustrialization and the arrival of the Eurostar, Lille has been reinventing and regenerating as a tourist destination. Since I'm a nerd about town planning, regeneration and local government, I especially enjoyed the way that the official tourist office bus tour celebrated the intervention of local government in this renewal of the city. My favourite part of the trip was the surprise waiting in the basement of the Palais de Beauart, one of those flamboyantly French-looking buildings in the centre of town. Here you will find 15 of a larger collection of plan reliefs, or miniature model maps, of 45 towns across northern France and into the Low Countries. One thing these models have in common is that they are generally flat with an absence of hills. The plans are built to a 1,600 scale where one inch represents 50 feet. And they are enormous, covering not just the main towns and cities, but significant hinterlands with interconnecting tables, metres across. The plan relief were initiated by Louis XIV in 1688, and the custom continued through Napoleon until the last was made in 1870. In 1743, there were two custom workshops turning out these models, one of which was in Lille. Looking at the models gives you a bird's eye view of a precise replica of how these places looked like 300 years ago. The layout of the fortifications, the patterns of nearby fields, the location of major landmarks like churches, city gates and forts. They were designed for military use and as some of these areas were captured by other forces, the plans were also captured over time. One we saw at the museum had been regained from the Prussians and restored after it had been hung vertically on a wall. Looking at them, I could just imagine the generals of old moving model soldiers, cannons and military hardware across the model maps, planning attacks. It's really easy to understand the military benefits of being able to see the whole area as if from the air, well before regular airborne reconnaissance. In Lille, we saw models of Lille itself, as well as Calais, Maastricht and others. A common feature was a star-shaped layout of fortifications protecting the towns. In Lille, the old citadel is still there, although it's not open to the public, as it's still an army base for NATO's rapid reaction forces. Around 100 of the original maps survive, and they were saved from being dumped when they were moved out of the Louvre in 1774 in favour of paintings, and installed in a dedicated museum in Paris from 1777, as well as a collection in Lille. 
If I'm ever in Paris, I'm definitely planning a visit to see the rest of the collection. There you go. That was utterly fascinating. Were you aware that that collection was actually there? I had no idea. We saw a sign in the museum. We went to the art museum because we're in France. Got to go somewhere. Let's go to the art museum. And we saw this thing saying, plan relief. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like mappy related. Let's go and have a look at that. We got down to the basement. I have never seen anything like it. And the scale of them was amazing. They're just huge. Yeah. And so I just hum- I just gazed at it for ages whilst my daughter got increasingly bored. And yeah, I really just it was it was just so unexpected. And then to go back and look at the history of them for the, to do the audio postcard. Yeah, it was great. Wow. Utterly fascinating. And I, I must admit, miniature towns, miniature villages and stuff. It used to be something which used to be a big thing around at seaside towns and stuff, didn't it? It's some, something of old, but they, those were truly amazing. Yeah, they're not twee model villages. Mr. Map Nerd, could, could you see yourself doing a TikTok video on those? I think they're fascinating. And I actually think the visuals, I, I know some, uh, a lot of people can't see them, but when you get down, especially down to sort of the perspective focus and you're, and you're going along like uh, in miniature, it's beautiful. Yeah. Should we do one? There's, yeah. there's, it's actually interesting. Maybe it, maybe it becomes a sort of compilation. There are, I know I'm from New York originally and in Queens, there's a Queens museum, which not a lot of people, people go to, but it, it also in the Queens museum, there's an entire relief of the city of New York. I grew up there my whole life. Nobody knows about them. <laughs> There are, I am sure there are cities all over like that, that have these amazingly detailed, beautiful, huge models of their places that, that sort of go unnoticed in the, in, in these museums and libraries. It's fascinating. And I think they're planning to digitize some of these plan relief and that would be amazing. You could just go on a website and do a fly through basically. So I'm really looking forward to the kind of technology catching up with that. Although Obviously, there's something that tangible about the originals and also the fact that someone physically built that 400 years ago, 300 years ago. It's a real piece of craft. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing skill and it was, it's a big job. Those things take hours. If you ever were in an architecture class, which I'm sure you guys were, I, I, I could barely put a model together in a studio. It took five months and it would be like a house. We have talked about this issue before we had a model maker on an architectural model maker on uh, some time ago and it feels like this is a lost art i think claire he said there was still two places in the uk doing it but yeah the architectural models yeah yeah. but again it's very niche isn't it so niche But but there is something quite wonderful and wondrous about google earth using that and zooming in on a city and then it hits the street view it gets to that kind of weird point where it's in perspective and you're moving and you start to see round buildings it's just about 3d ish i think it's two and a half d and then you go in and always you get the street view and you find yourself walking along some street in vladivostok and you're like wow the fact that this is all connected up and but we have this is us using technology to have a similar effect but it doesn't have the charm of those maps, though, does it? There's something charming about that, about those physical one to what's it, sixtieth size? You said, Claire. It's just, and the fact that they're so old as well, just to kind of beggars belief. But anyway, so say, so Mr. Map Nerd, we need to rattle through this because we need you, you, me, and Claire need a business meeting, All right, yeah. folks? This is the time where, if you're in the audience, you can raise your hand digitally or even just on camera, just go woo, me next, and you can ask a question to our most esteemed guest. The fact that he's got half a million followers on, on, on social media, I don't know what he's doing on this podcast, right? It's, we're lucky to have him. So if you do have a it, question... It didn't, I got to tell you, first of all, you've had way bigger. You've had some YouTubers with millions, okay? I've listened and they're fascinating. Yeah, I love- but they didn't give us pointers of how we can up our business <laughs> game. That's the difference. <laughs> oh, I'm so embarrassed now. I didn't mean it to come across like that. Oh, no. Uh, Listen, Mr. <laughs> Nerd, no, it's all good. It's I, I, all I good. really, because look, I'm an entertainment guy and I'm also obsessed with maps. And so I'm really interested in the intersection of how do you get people interested in maps while also making entertaining? How do you get cool maps in front of eyeballs? That's what I, that's my interest. 
Oh, I love it that your parents didn't think there was a future in geography, but they were okay with you going into entertainment. Surely my normal narrative is, I want to be in entertainment. I go, that's not a real job. Go and do something practical. Places. That um, is yeah. the greatest point I've ever heard. And I'm going to have to bring it up with them as soon as I speak to them. Yes. Anyone uh, got any questions for Alex? So what was the getting the oh, courage Oh, she has got one. Hi. So I have a question because I follow a lot of content now in YouTube, Instagram, especially, and a lot of map pages, especially on Instagram. I see that they take the map creation thing a level further by creating maps using community input. So they put some polls asking questions. Okay, in your country, what does this mean or whatever? And of course, this helps creating a lot of content and engagement. But I think that it also creates like bias based on the interview people or the community they're following. The created maps end up being inherently attractive to that kind of people, that kind of audience, rather than having a bit more objective, let's say. What do you think about that? Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. It, there's a feedback loop there for sure. And I think we're all probably guilty of it, um, some more than others. It's almost technical problem with the way that social media and the algorithms and all this stuff work. You want to engage your audience and then you want to provide them with more things they're going to watch. And now the problem is that just keeps on rolling and then it just keeps on building and building. And now you're creating an entirely a community that's insular, that's building upon their own beliefs. But now that has gone so far away and is starting to create maps about things that are really totally not legitimate. It's just the 10,000 people that follow this guy. The problem becomes when that creator has a hit one that goes to a million, right? That gets more eyeballs, which at a certain point they will. Now they're disseminating that sort of very misleading information to people who don't have the context and they're taking it at face value. And that I think creates an issue. I think you got to educate people more at exactly what, which is, look, this thing started with a feedback loop with people who are watching who provided commentary, and this is how this came about. When you look at it from a blank slate, it's just not real for the rest of the world. So with great power comes great responsibility. And your people like yourself, it, it's good to hear you take that seriously because I think absolutely you can get into these feedback loops and that doesn't help the modern world, does it? It is a question because, and it's off the back of Sergio's point. So I've seen a lot of maps which are somewhat derivative. Okay. And for clicks, they're interesting. I've seen that somewhere else, but this is a slightly different format, but fundamentally it's the same. So how do you deal with like just copyright? If you're fundamentally telling a story about Baal Nassau, they're, what are you using as a source material? The Google map, are you cleaning it up? How exactly is that working? So you have full intellectual copyright over the images. Yeah. It's a great question. And so I, at first, when I didn't have as many followers and as many views, I was just taken from everywhere, to be honest. And I think a lot of people do that. If you're small enough, nobody's really paying attention. Now I've had to get a bit more serious and I use publicly available common license items from, I'll search wiki commons. I will use imagery that's sourced mainly from the internet, but that has a common use license to it. And I'll make sure that it does. And we're talking about how maps are so ubiquitous. The, the Google Maps, you're talking about moving in into that two and a half, three D view. There's so much that Google provides. Google Earth, Google Maps, Bing, Apple, they've pulled so much interesting map data visually online that I could make an entire thing using uh, a Google Earth with the right citation, but there's a trove of information. But yeah, now you've got to be careful. Gotcha. Yeah. Bill has a follow-up question. Yes, it's so social media related. I wonder if there's a bit of an identity crisis for all the people who are imagining themselves to be creating educational or information content. Is there a danger of feeding people what they want to see exclusively. Yeah. Isn't that a question for me, right? 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it is definitely a problem, and and you can see it's it, it's not even just in maps, right? It's in in the U.S. on the sort of the in political circles, right? There's that feedback loop. So people are hearing things that they want, keep on wanting to hear and seeing things, especially on Facebook. And, and they don't necessarily have to be true. I try very hard to get the facts right. And what I try to do is find the truth itself that is exciting. And so the subjects that I try to cover, the maps that I try to cover, they're suggested from people. And then, as I said before, they have that oh wow factor, but I'm not making the oh wow factor up in any sense of the word. Intrinsically, this border, this town, this place is actually surprising and shocking. I think where you, you lose your way a little bit is when you try to take a subject, somebody says there's a lot of topics that people suggest that they might be particularly interested in. Oh, you should do my town in the southwest of France or whatever it may be. And when I look up that town, there's not much going on there in terms of something surprising or interesting. And so in order for me to do on that town, I would have to be extrapolating. And I think that's then when you get, so you've got to pick things that are intrinsically on their own. The facts are shocking and surprising. And, and you can't let the machine do the curation. Yeah. Oh, that, by the way, thank you for reminding me. That's actually what I was going to say before. This goes to talk about how this machine and the algorithm works. When I miss something, make a little bit of an error, we all do, we're not all perfect, um, uh, mischaracterize something where I forget to add something or have the wrong coordinates of a place, there's always somebody out there who will correct you, okay? And when I get something messed up, it usually gets more views. Yeah, it rewards you. That's certainly a problem. Some people purposefully put in things they know to be incorrect so that they can get a controversy brewing, so they can get people correcting them, which is going to get them more views. That's an inherent problem with the way these algorithms work that I think needs to be refined. I'm not an IT wizard, so I don't know how to do it, but it is, it's certainly true. When I screw something up, I, it, it creates a viral hit. Wow. Wait a minute, Claire. We, we just hit on our problem. That's not painted. We screw stuff up all the time. No, no, no. no. no We've got a whole <laughs> bank of researchers and fact checkers before we even get onto the mic. So everything is pristine on this show. Hence our lack of download figures. God yeah. damn it. That's one of the... I just like to say that I love this conversation though. It's, you come for the maps, you stay for the moral philosophy of social media. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, people have most definitely come for maps and for the social philosophy and on, on social media, for the moral philosophy, sorry. But also what they're here for, Claire, is the quiz. Oh, right? yeah, that is for sure. People do this at home. They play along and uh, we're going to do it live right here and now. This Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
This is the Map Corner Quiz. And of course, the whoever wins, and I'm, who am I looking at? I'm looking at you, Bill. I reckon you've got this month, Bill. I can see that little glint in your eye. Right. Oh, um, I'm not feeling confident. My money's on you. Listen, if I'm the adjudicator, you'll win. You'll win. Now, quite simply, whoever wins the quiz will win the honour of doing an audio postcard. So, here we go. <laughs> Question number one. Which two countries share the territory equally on Marquette Island in the Baltic? Is it A, Finland and Russia, B, Russia and Sweden, or C, Sweden and Finland? Again, the question, which two countries share the territory equally on Marquette Island in the Baltic? Is it A, Finland and Russia, B, Russia and Sweden, or C, Sweden and Finland? Question number two, we have mentioned this place. We've mentioned it a few times on, on Map Corner. Have you been? Have you been? No. I I, I want to go badly. But anyway. It's a field trip that Roger and I want to do. Yes. Maybe that'll be our map corner field trip. Um, well, it's easier than the one when he wanted to go to the Silk Road in Azerbaijan. That's a little bit more inhospitable, frankly. Yeah, but I, I want to do that too. Drive something a little closer to home first and then... Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Question number two. Baal Hertog or Baal Nassau are overlapping towns on the border between Belgium and the Netherlands. What products are more easily accessible in the Belgian areas? Is it A, fireworks, B, painkillers, or C, batteries? Baal Hartog or Baal Nassau are overlapping towns on the border between Belgium and the Netherlands. What products are more easily accessible in the Belgian areas? Is it A, fireworks, B, painkillers, or C, batteries? Question number three. Which of the following countries has both a Pacific and Atlantic coastline? A, Belize. B, Nicaragua. C, Venezuela. Question again. Which of the following countries has both a Pacific and an Atlantic coastline? A, Belize. B, Nicaragua. Or C, Venezuela. Question number four. Approximately what percentage of all people live within 100 kilometers of a coastline? A, 25%, B, 40%, C, 50%. Approximately what percentage of all people on planet Earth live within 100 kilometers of a coastline? 25% of us, 40% of us, or is it 50% of us? Question number five. In what country would you find the infamous gates of hell, the Darvassa gas crater? This was mentioned when we had our... Silk Road, chappy. Is it A, Tajikistan, B, Turkmenistan, C, Georgia? Goodness, I've just gave the answer to, to at least two places there, what I said before. Need to keep my mouth in check. What, in what country would you find the infamous Gates of Hell, the Darvassa gas crater? Is it A, Tajikistan, B, Turkmenistan, or C, Georgia? Question number seven. Now, I didn't actually give this one away when we talked about Tristan da Cunha. So well done for all concerned. Tristan da Cunha is the most remote settlement in the world. What nationality do the residents hold? A, Portuguese, B, Argentinian, or C, British. Tristan da Cunha is the most remote settlement on the planet. What nationality do its residents hold? Portuguese, Argentinian, or is it British? Great choices like that. Question number seven. Which is the lowest line capital city in the world? Now, hopefully I'm going to get this pronunciation right. I might have to need some backup from you, Asprey. A, Baku in Azerbaijan. B, is it Male in the Maldives? I'll be honest, I've never heard it out loud either. I don't know, Alex? I think so. I think so. And then C, is it known? Or is it non-A or none? I didn't look that bit up. But it, that is the capital of Nehru. So which is the lowest line capital city in the world? Is it A, Baku, Azerbaijan, B, Male, let's go for that pronunciation, in the Maldives, or C, None in Nehru? Please forgive me if I pronounce the name of your capital city wrong. Question number eight, this is the last question. Which is the least populated capital city in the world? Now, don't ask me how you pronounce this one. A. Enjurland. 
It's in Palau, the capital of Palau. <laughs> Question number, answer B, uh, the Vatican City and Funafutu in Tuvalu. I think just about uh, pronounced that one. Last question again, which is the least populated capital city in the world? Is it the capital of Palau? Is it the Vatican City? Is it Funafutu, which is the capital of Tuvalu? There are your quiz questions. If you're in the audience, you're scribbling this down on, on, pa- on paper. No cheating. No going onto your phone. But what was that rice smile for there, Bill? We we want your phone. Did I just catch you red-handed? No, no, I'm just guessing. You caught me okay. guessing this week. Okay, gotcha. All right, Claire, we now need to go on to the next section of the show, which is... Social Media Roundup. Just a quickie this time. Over on Twitter, it's been quiet, but I did recently repost something from another fantastic map creator, Alistair Ray. I'm a big fan of Alistair Ray, where he's been putting data from the UK census and from Ordnance Survey. Actually, this one's particularly from Ordnance Survey. And he's just plotting places that have the same name, place names across the, the Great Britain. And it's interesting because we've heard all this before, haven't we, about how there are bits in the old Danegale that have Viking names and bits that have Saxon names and whatever. But you do see often the, where these names happen, they do come in clusters because they are related to some of that very ancient history. He also flagged up some of the more unusual place names, which is always a fun game to play as well. I think people always appreciate that. So that's something to look out on the hashtag map corner on Twitter. Over on Facebook, a couple of really lively conversations one from a map that Nick Clark posted, which is thus around every so often, to be fair. It's one of those that's very popular on social media where it's the it shows you the best-selling kind of pop artists from each county in the UK. Causes everyone to have arguments about who should or should not be on the map and who, who'd outsold whom. Again, this is one of those where there probably is a data set somewhere I don't know whether the data sets compare that updated and all of that kind of things. Yeah, and it's interesting to compare historic apps with more modern ones. So I'm, I don't know anyone's outsold Ed Sheeran from Suffolk, for example. That would be my thinking. Anyway, and then another one that got a lot of traffic was David Crowther of the History of England podcast posted one which showed the most prolific second language in the UK, which really just shows the dominance of Polish across the bulk of the UK, the most popular second language everywhere almost is Polish. And I think that's, that's really interesting because that's a really important piece of social history because that's within the last 20 years. And, and it also shows how you have different pockets. And looking at the pockets of second languages is so, well, something that was really interesting. I think it was Yiddish in Canvey Island, Portuguese in parts of Norfolk, where there was a lot of Portuguese people moved for uh, agricultural work uh, in the early 2000s. So it just just goes to show some of those historic communities and some of those more recent arrivals and the real breadth of diversity across the country. Give a shout out to was it wasn't a well, it was a map it was a plan I would say rather than map but Janie Brant Bezik shared it was like a kind of three D cutaway illustration of the underground station layout at Piccadilly Circus and it's just I, I love that kind of thing it's one of those kind of how does it work and cross section type photos a, a drawing but yeah it's just those things are such beautiful pieces of art in themselves. And also give us an appreciation for the phenomenal feats of engineering that's involved in a complex interchange on the under underground. So I just, I always enjoy that kind of thing. Those are the ones that I would particularly recommend for this month. Goodness. Um, awesome. O- utterly awesome. The use of Polish as a second language is, is of course, because of EU em- emigration. And I remember listened to a fascinating program. This is about 15 years ago or so, where a woman said, I was in Tesco's in Slough and the announcement was in Polish. And I had to go, what, what's going on here? And what was really interesting was they talked about her surprise that she just pushed in her trolley and the announcement was in Polish because there's so many Polish people there. But then the influx, how the council had to deal with that to build two extra new schools. Now, it's things like that. There were so many new Polish people, and then the extra provision that needed for central government for language skills. 
for these children who had rudimentary English, but they needed to get up to speed. It was utterly fascinating. But the start was I was in Tesco's in Slough and the announcement was in Polish. I wondered what country I was in. And then it was a fascinating program, utterly fascinating. And I think there's another statistic about the polls in Britain that every British postcode has at least one Polish speaker in it. So, yeah, yeah, so in terms of chain migration, let's say when my parents came from the West Indies, they weren't equally spread. They came to Birmingham or Wolverhampton, London. They came to six or seven specific places. And generally, migration in Britain has always been to specific cities. The poles are everywhere, even in Northern Ireland, which doesn't get much migration in, in British terms. Anyway, Claire, is that enough fill for me for us to go back to the quiz? Let's go back to the quiz. All right, smashing. All right, Miss, Mr. Nerd, how this generally... You've listened to the podcast, right? We get our guests to play along. So you're the sh- sacrificial lamb. You go first. So here we go. Question number one. Which two countries share the territory equally on Marquette Island in the Baltic? Is it A, Finland and Russia, B, Russia and Sweden, or C, Sweden and Finland? And the answer is... You're asking me, right? Yeah. Is that what we're saying? Okay. Just want to make sure I'm not... No, I'm Mr. Brown. You're Mr. Nerd. I got it. I got it. And I am very appreciative that these questions are topical to content that I have made. So I appreciate that. The answer is C, Sweden and Finland. And can you tell us a little bit about how they redraw them every so often? It's fascinating. Yeah. So the island itself is very tiny. Some people actually call it the smallest island border, although that probably isn't true. There's a lighthouse that was built by Russia when when Finland was technically a part of Russia. And they built it on the island, technically on the Swedish side, but nobody was really paying attention. They didn't mind. Then when Finland basically became a country, Sweden and Finland decided, okay, we got to figure out how to make this border. And of course, they like each other and they decided to be very casual uh, about it and and polite. And so they said, okay, Finland, if that's your lighthouse, we're going to give you your, we'll give you your lighthouse, but then, and that's in our territory. So I just want an equal amount of territory on my side. So they literally, if you look at it and Google it, it's fascinating. It's this really tight puzzle piece of a border that goes right around the lighthouse and back again. And then the island changes shape a lot because the seas are pretty rough there and it's pretty much a rock. Every 25 years, the two countries go back to the island and remap it. And wasn't there a new border created between technically Denmark and Canada recently? Yes, that is correct. The border on Hans Island between Canada and Greenland, which is technically part of Denmark, they never had a border there and they argued over it politely for quite some time. They decided and they ended the dispute. I think it was, it wasn't this year. It would be like late last year, I believe, which is amazing, actually. And they cut it right down the middle. That one's easier. Question number two. Now, this one, I must admit, I don't know. So, don't know if Mr. Nerd. All right. So, number two, Baal Hertog or Baal Nassau are overlapping towns on the border between Belgium and the Netherlands. What products are more easily accessible in the Belgian areas? Is it A, fireworks, B, painkillers, or C, batteries? I've taken an educated guess. It's a guess, right? But I won't reveal my guess unless you actually know the answer. Me? Mm-hmm. I do know the answer, so reveal your guess. I'm going to go fireworks. Fireworks is like one of those funny things where some countries are pro them, some aren't. So I'm guessing like the Belgians, because of Catholicism or something other, they quite like fireworks. The Dutch would be like, oh, this is scary, blah, blah, blah. I'm going fireworks. I believe that's right. Yeah, you're right. Are we right? But I hadn't really put it back to a sort of historic cultural connection to different kinds of religion. That's a really interesting concept, actually. You're right. It's a, it's not very Calvinist and Protestant to like fireworks, is it? It's a bit exuberant. Mm, exactly. Like, you know, Catholics are all about that kind of thing. So I'd also, I'd also, I'd also guess that maybe something like painkillers might not be far off. There are probably different regulations and there's probably some drugs that you can get easier on one side versus the other. 
Yeah. But I have to say, I had to make up the other answers once I knew it was fireworks. So I didn't double check that it wasn't also true of the others. No, but it's clever because I thought for a second, I was like, huh, that, that might be. Mm. It's also uh, liquor. They have they they used to have I think now they don't because they're it's all EU is does EU all have the same drinking age? Mm. Wouldn't have thought so. No, but it just goes to show that you can be in the EU and still have some interpretations of your own. But uh, mm. uh, some people in this country don't believe that. Just on the painkillers thing, though, because this is really re- re- a really interesting question because we have overlapping jurisdictions, but then we have customs and norms. Uh, which can be area-specific, country-specific. I would have thought something like painkillers, the Benelux countries would have, ha- would, would, would have them standardised, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can buy antibiotics over the counter in Spain, uh, and actually quite a lot of Europe, I think, but you definitely can't in the UK, and you couldn't even when we were in the EU. You can't get anything over the counter in the US. You have to pay a million dollars to your insurance company to get it. Or you go down to Mexico. I, I had no idea that was such a thing. But living in California, the amount of people just, oh, let's go to Mexico. You can buy anything. You don't need a prescription. And it's so cheap. Claire, you should look for a map on medical tourism from the United States to Mexico. And some go to Canada to get surgeries. It's a thing. Yeah. I look forward to your upcoming video on that theme. Yeah. Um, hours. Okay, okay, the collaboration. Okay. Claire, can yeah, you, we're going to take up. that territory from Alex. Question number three, which of the following countries has both the Pacific and, and Atlantic coastline? Is it no, A, Belize, B, Nicaragua, C, Venezuela? Uh, that, this, is, this is a softball to you, Mr. Nerd. The answer is B, Nicaragua. Absolutely. Okay. Question number four, approximately what percentage of all people live within 100 kilometers of a coastline? See, A, 25%, B, 40%, C, 50 huh. uh, an- Another guess, guess from me here. But Mr. Mr. N, Mr. Nerd, what do you reckon? Great question. And I don't know the answer. Was this from, did you get this idea from uh, the video I did on Coastline Paradox? Yeah, it jumped off from your videos and some of yeah. it was based on that and some of it was based like, oh, you just don't like the city. You just don't like coastlines. So I just went off from there. But yeah, Great. the back of the coastline stuff. And we're talking specifically ocean coastlines, the, the big ones, right? Well, Not talking about- is the Mediterranean a coastline? Is that incredible? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Anything with like big body of water coastline, yeah, not rivers. But not like a river coastline. I don't think that we're talking about rivers. I think we're talking about Surely if it, if it's a river, it's literally gonna be the whole of humanity. It's a bench. All right, let's go with C fifty percent. I would have guessed at fifty. The answer, Claire? It's forty percent. Oh you more inland people than you thought. Huh? I'm thinking about the whole of continental Africa. There's, there's a lot of the middle of that. Oh, yeah. And India and China as well. Yeah. Right. China's got a lot of people, but not a huge amount of coastline. Well done. You, you, you tripped us up. I would have bet my house on 50%. Question number five. In what country do you find the infamous gates of hell, the uh, Darvasa Gas Crater? A, Tajikistan. B, Turkmenistan. C, Georgia. I think I remember the country that this is in. Uh, Mr. Nerd. Turkmenistan. That's what I would have said too. That's correct. 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 Question number six. Prison de Kuna is the most remote settlement in the world. What nationality do the residents hold? A, Portuguese. B, Argentinian. C, British. The answer is? C, British. Absolutely. They are saluting the flag, most definitely. Question number seven. Which is the lowest lying capital city in the world? Now, is it A, Baku, Azerbaijan, B, Malé, which is the capital of the Maldives, or I've had it from somebody in my back channel that Nehru doesn't have a capital, so it's non, not none, or however I was trying to pronounce it. There isn't one. Okay. The answer to the question is what, Mr. Nerd? Ooh, let's try Malé. Claire Asprey. Oh, it is? Below sea level. Oh. Whereas, huh. you know, much of the Maldives isn't much above sea level. but No, but you tricked us there. That was a good trick. Yeah. Well done. Well done. All right. Last question. Which is the least populated capital city 
in the world. This is one of the ones where you go, it has to be what I think it is. The capital of Palau, we can't pronounce it. B, the Vatican City, or C, Funafutu, which is the capital of Tuvalu. So, Mr. Nerd, which of these is the least populated capital city in the world? So I pronounced this in one of my videos, and I got a lot of flack for it. Speaking about, the video did very well because a lot of people wanted to correct me on this name. So I am going to spare myself the embarrassment and not pronounce it, but I believe... It is a, yeah. And I'm going to go, give it a mood. Sounds good. Yeah. My followers were trying to tell, the NG is similar to like the NG in Southeast Asia. I just can't pronounce that. Yeah. So how many people live there? There's only a thousand people in the Vatican City. So how many people live there? Oh, it's hundred or something. I can't remember. I didn't write it down now, but it's very few. This is a fascinating place. I think it's actually less than 400. And this place is a capital only for the purposes of being a capital. So what they did is using foreign funds, they built a sort of very stately capital city with, it looks, if you Google it, it's got this classical White House, Washington, D.C. vibes, but that's all that it is. It's the parliamentary building and a couple of outlier buildings, but nobody, it's not a city in which people actually live. It's just really the capital parliamentary building. That was a real, I love because I'm a big fan of a new town and all that kind of thing. I really enjoyed that video about new capitals that are being built or have recently been built. Fascinating, and, isn't it? Yeah, and, I and, love that and, kind of stuff. Honestly, they, it's all the countries that yeah, it's all the countries that couldn't afford it are building the new capitals. But also capital cities that are just like where there people are willing to admit that they've got a capital that is too at risk from climate change or doesn't have the infrastructure to cope with itself. Sure. That kind of thing. I, I think it takes a lot of courage, actually, to do that as well. That's true. And also, as somebody who's a little bit of an urbanist, and uh, I know you are, Claire, too, about street planning and whatever, invariably, they get it always wrong. Invariably. Brasilia is a case in point. These places can be hell holes if you are trying to truly live there. They're not built on a human scale. Right. Now is the point where we, we're going to crown somebody the map corner winner of the quiz. Here we go. Who got all eight correct? Andrew not is even the shaking his head. To be fair, not even Alex got that all of them right. So. All right. No shame. Who got seven correct? Oh, the tension builds, Claire. Six. Nobody got six. Could Am happen. I included in this? Oh, you got seven. So if you want to do the post, no, no, I don't think I did. I think I got six. Wait. You definitely got the coastline bit wrong. I thought you got everything else. I could be wrong. I got, no, I got the coastline wrong and I got the... Oh, you wrong. No, you got six. Yeah. 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 No, okay. There you go. What number have I got? Oh, so... Oh, yeah. Mr. Nerd got six right. That's our high watermark. Okay. All right. Tension builds. People are like poised now. Five. Nick! Well done, Nick. Tell you what, Ken's just done his best. I didn't win my Oscar face. Well done, Mr. Rowworth. You know what you've won. You know what you've won. You've won the honour of doing an audio postcard. And by the way, Mr. McDonald, because I've been so slow putting out the shows, I don't know if you checked your phone for your podcast feed, but the, sh the latest show, which is the LTBGQIA Maps, has your audio postcard. And it was oh. lo lovely to listen to it. Uh, it was editing it. I'd completely forgotten that I didn't actually edit it, but you, then you read it out and you, and you sang as well. So that was most wonderful. Claire, uh, you know what? I've really enjoyed th this episode. Uh -huh. oh. that, can I just say a quick shout out to Robert Sturble, who didn't get to ask his question and has been filling the chat with like really interesting stuff oh. uh, all the way through. So thank you, Robert. Uh, and that goes for me too. Uh, well done, Robert. Keep it up, sir. Claire, uh, is it time for us to fold up our maps? I'm going to give you a map first. Uh, and it's not in the script because I just added it in now. Mm -hmm. uh, which is that today we're recording on the 1st of April 2023. And I just saw this thing today about, we're being very UK focused today on the whole map side. But anyway, um, it's 100 years today that they, the Ministry of Transport first published the official list of uh, class one and two roads with proper road numbers in the UK. So although road numbering in the UK had been developing from before the First World War, 
it's 100 years today that we had official A roads, B roads, and what the numbers were. And that's a perennial theme that we love on this on this podcast is road numbering systems. And the clock face system in England is one that I'm especially fond of. And I give a big shout out for it being 100 years old today. Shout out indeed. Right. And people call us nerds because we like the roads that are numbered. So we're just enthusiasts. Yeah, I think nerds is absolutely apt in this regard. Oh, like Bill sharing his map. Thank you for that, Bill. Any last words, Mr. Map Nerd? You need to tell people where they can catch up with all your wondrous works on various platforms. I know for a fact Nick Roworth is big on TikTok. There you go. Okay. If you search Map Nerd on most platforms, you probably will find me. It's the logo that, that you've seen and you will definitely hear my voice. But I would suggest www.amapnerd.com and it has everything in there. So feel free. I would love it if you could join our community. We've got a great group of people and we're doing this all day long and talking about maps just like you guys are. So let's continue the conversation. We don't do it all day long. We we do it the first Saturday of every month for one hour. (laughs) That's where we're going wrong, Claire. We're talking too much. There's no visuals. It's gosh damn it. The day job and everything. I know. Who would have thought talking about maps on a podcast was ever going to work? I and listen, you got me intrigued. I'm into oh, it. Oh yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right, Claire. And, uh, so next month mm-hmm. we'll be talking to another big titan of the, the kind of map world, which is Mike Parker, who's a British author and also has written a. I think his book is called Map Addict, but he's written a number of map themed books, uh, and he'll be our guest on the sixth of May. I like that a big titan as opposed to a small titan. Uh, yeah, just a medium sized titan. There you go, folks. It's time for us to fold up our maps. What are you doing with your map, Claire? I'm folding it up, Royfield. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.